1: Thursday's title, uh, Like Everybody Must Get
0: Stoned, and we did sing Bob Marley this morning, so some of you might be a little bit curious about what is happening. But uh, So this morning's title, once again, is the first um, from three teachings we're going to do regarding uh, the society, and uh, the title of the message is There Must Be Some Way Out of Here. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for to you is the promise and to your children and to all them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord God will call into him. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted, saying, save yourself, yourselves, excuse me, from this crooked generation, perverse generation. In fact, uh, the message Bible uh, written by Eugene Peterson says, save yourself from this sick and stupid Culture, And then they that received his word were baptized, and they were added unto them in that day about 3,000 souls. This is a really interesting story because Acts chapter 2, where Peter stands before the, the group of people and begins to share this. This is the first, the seminal sermon of the New Testament church. This is the first sermon ever given in the new Jesus Church. And so what he has to say is clearly of incredible importance. And what he has to say within this sermon is something that is probably going to set the framework for everything else that's to come after it. In fact, if you also think about um, upon Peter... Upon this rock, I'll build the church. Wouldn't you think that in many ways what Peter is saying at this moment is a foundational stone in many ways? So what I'd like to do first, Eli, if you would pull up for me the um, Apostles' Creed 1, we're going to read this together out loud. So some of you uh, might be familiar with, if you've spent any time in church whatsoever, the Apostles' Creed. If you're not familiar with it in normal form, you probably know it in uh, the Rich Mullen form as a song. Remember Rick, Rich Mullen had the song Creed that he sang? I believe in God the Father. Remember that? So we're going to read together the Apostles' Creed. And what we're going to do as we read this is this is a prophetic declaration about who we are. And this is when the apostles gather together after Jesus' ascension. These are the things they found to be important. So I'd like, to, I'd like to simply ask this question as we read this. What do we find to be important? What doctrine, what religion, what belief do we find to be most important? So let's read this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ his only son our lord he was conceived by the power of the holy spirit and born of the virgin mary he suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended to the dead and on the third day rose again next slide please He ascended unto heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the
1: body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That is your Apostles' Creed. That's pretty good stuff.
0: So as we look at this this morning, I'd like you to remember that is That is what the apostles, that's what the early church fathers deemed to be important. You don't find heaven or hell. You don't find speaking in tongues or any other type of prayer. You don't find what type of baptism. You don't have what type of books you're to sing out of or if you're supposed to sing out of a book.
1: things that divide our churches today just aren't there. I have spent what I would call a
0: considerable amount of time, you can change it back to the slide, Eli, thank you, reading and researching regarding the history of revival. And while we regularly draw from the historical understanding of Azusa Street, Brownsville, Toronto, or even the great Welsh revival that preceded them all, we often neglect to mention the great Jesus people movement of the 60s and 70s. The Jesus movement is credited with the origin of contemporary Christian music. It is single-handedly recognized as the spark that changed church worship and opened doors for the transition from hymns and choirs to worship songs with guitars and drums. Everything we know about our worship music, and in fact, even broader, just Christian music at large, we gleaned from the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. In fact, one of the most unique of the Jesus revival of the 1960s and 70s is that the central element was not preaching or sermons, but music. This was similar to the counterculture happening in the 60s at that time. Music is what led the shift and opened doors into a uh, younger generation searching for something real. Many of these long-haired rockers found Christ and did what seemed the most natural thing to do. They didn't change the
1: music, they simply changed the lyrics. They just stopped who they were singing to. This gave birth to a whole new
0: style of Christian music with people like Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, Second Chapter of Acts, Phil Keggy, Honey Honeytree, Paul Clark, Keith Green, Rez Band, Christian mom said, I don't know about those guys. Or striper.
1: That's because they wore tights, though. (laughs) They were gyrating. (laughs) I think tights or
0: gyrating were okay, but as soon as you combine tights and gyrating, it's out.
1: I think that's the rule.
0: It also gave way to a movement where people like Bob Dylan and Eric shocked the world with their embrace of faith and Christian music Bob Dylan penned many 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 songs that were religious in in the framework or in the sentiment but he had three entire albums between 1967 and 1975 I think that were completely overtly Christian albums Save, Slow Train Coming and Shot of Love completely and overtly Christian albums Eric Clapton was the exact same way Eric Clapton very overtly began to uh, um, write songs that were clearly talking about Jesus after this very real conversion experience this swept through American cities like LA Milwaukee Salem Eugene Fort Lauderdale and especially San Francisco Tosh and I recently visited San Francisco. And while we were there, we decided we needed to visit the famous Hyatt Asbury park area. This small neighborhood is famous for its homes that gave place to the grateful dead, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan, Janice Joplin, and many others. And while we were there, we actually got to go see some of these houses. We got to stand outside in front of the, in front of the dead house where the grateful dead lived when they were writing all this music and, and, um, eating cookies. And, um, and the funny thing about it is they have this tree in front of the house, um, and it's in this beautiful, very upper-class neighborhood. I mean, like, gated houses. Very, very nice. Um, there's probably not a house there that's less than a million and a half, Tosh, probably. Um, and yet, in front of this house, where you know all those guys used to do their thing, is this tree. And there's people that have scrawled their love to the Grateful Dead, or, or or made markings, or you know that kind of stuff on this tree. And it's really weird because you you have very um, um, this very prestigious thing that yet represents to so many this a very counterculture that it once embraced. We were able to go see these houses, and there was also this thing that I began to read about that I didn't realize happened in that exact area um, called the the Jesus Movement, the hippie Jesus freaks that lived in that area, where the first Christian coffee houses began to pop up. Quickly, the place was flooded by gatherings such as the House of Acts, which gave place to these seekers and searchers. Some of these Jesus coffee houses eventually turned into churches. The most fascinating element of the Jesus Movement was the counterculture edge. They were rethinking church christianity and trying to
1: make it wait for it biblical Biblical. most of the leaders were young people in their teens or early 20s who had radically
0: encountered the love of god and just wanted to share it with others churches rejected them and this entire culture in large swaths after all most of them had not been to seminary most of them had not been through the steps that the church saw as requirements to belong to this very elite club that we call Christianity. In fact, Brian Zahn, now pastor of Word of Life church in St. Joseph, Missouri, recounts being brought before the local church leadership and grilled with questions such as who gives you the right to lead these people to Jesus? As a 19-year-old Just in love with Jesus, he didn't leave his home without his Bible all through high school and middle school. He was leading people to Jesus. They would get saved, and then he would take these hippies out to the river and baptize them in the river. Which, if you remember, guys, about 10 years ago, we went and did an activation in St. Joseph, Missouri. We went to St. Joseph Winery, remember? And, And prayed and declared what it was God wanted to do there. I had no idea at that time that this was where this stuff had been happening. There was actually a huge pocket of the Jesus movement that happened there. And they asked him questions like, who gives you the right to lead these people to Jesus? And who told you that you could baptize these that were converted? He recounts this uh, accusation as baptizing without a license. To which he simply replied, don't worry. I have not baptized anyone that you're ever going to baptize. But let me be clear, this was a counterculture of which reflected the early church of Acts so similarly that like the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day, the current church leaders didn't know what to do with it. The Jesus movement paralleled what I would like to look at today, the original church movement in the 30s, not the 1930s, the 30s, not 1930, not 1830. 30 that's the original jesus movement that's what we find in the book of acts in acts chapter 2 peter preaches the first sermon of the post jesus church in the sermon he gives an evangelistic invitation to which 300 are converted that day and baptized however what was in his sermon i don't know that to this day any of us in this room combined have ever seen three thousand people saved you've been to a Billy Graham crusade, you've probably not seen 300 people saved. Or 3,000 3, people saved, excuse me. 3,000 people. And yet, what was his message? Did he tell them of the flames of hell that awaited all sinners? Or the mansion in heaven that welcomed all Christians? No. In fact, throughout the uh, the book of Acts... You do not find one single instance of an afterlife issue being part of the gospel message. You never, ever find a gospel message in the book of Acts or in the entire early church writings for the first 200 years of the church where there was ever a teaching about heaven when you die as a reason to become a believer or hell when you
1: die as a reason to abandon your sinning lifestyle. Ever. it that in the
0: postmodern church of today, the question about your commitment to Jesus is, do you want to go to heaven when you die, or do you want to burn in hell for all eternity? In fact, we follow this up with coercive and emotional questions like turn to your neighbor and ask them, if you were to die today, would you spend eternity in hell? And then we actually think that that's something that will stick. Yet never in the first hundred years of the church do we ever have a documented sermon about heaven or hell. Why? Because that was not the gospel message.
1: The gospel message is there's a kingdom and you get to be part of it. And every time Jesus
0: mentioned the kingdom, he was never, ever, ever, ever talking about something that happened after you died. He was talking about something that you stepped into as soon as you accept him. That was the message. So when Paul gives this wonderful, or excuse me, Peter gives this wonderful sermon, he doesn't mention any of those things. His simple invitation was, be saved from this crooked generation. Be saved from this culture of perversity, This culture of greed, this culture of payback, this culture of unforgiveness, this culture of rage, this culture of vitriol and violence, this culture of retributive and um, manipulative relationships that are power and egocentric at the heart of it, be saved from that saved from a culture that says, for me to succeed, you have to lose. Be saved from a culture that says, for someone else to get better, I have to get worse. Be saved from a culture that says, if I'm in, that means they're out, as long as they're not in, in the way that I'm in. If they didn't pray the same prayer I prayed, they can't be in. Because I prayed that prayer, and I know I'm in. say anything about those things. He said be saved out of that culture. Be saved out of a culture that has tried to adopt an evangelical lifestyle into a political landscape. Be saved out of fear mongering. Be saved out of trying to figure out which of our presidents is God's anointed version of King Cyrus from the Old Testament. Be saved out of trying to figure out if Jesus is going to show up through our government leaders, be saved out of the empire that is all around us. That is the sick
1: and twisted society that we're invited to be saved out of. In the words of the great Bob Dylan, there must be
0: some way out of here. Dylan draws these lyrics from the song Watchtower and is found in Isaiah 42. In this chapter, the men are appealing for a way out, but out of what? A way out of Babylon, out of the corrupt world system that has imprisoned them in service to greed, revenge, and slavery to ego. Peter says this salvation is from the crooked and iniquitous culture that we were born into. This reminds us of Jesus' appeal to Nicodemus to be born again. The listeners had become crooked and twisted out of shape by the system that was so corrupt, so broken, so evil that it was capable of the murder of God and yet felt dignified and righteous in doing it. Jesus had been handed over to the Romans by the Jewish religious leaders. I'd like to look at something that we've probably not thought about before. By the Jewish religious leaders. Now, we'll look at this probably on Thursday, but let me ask you a very simple question. Did the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders of that day, have any issues any issues with mob-like punishment or violence? Did they have any issue whatsoever with giving somebody the judgment that they felt due themselves? at the scriptures and look at Fox's book of martyrs and and look at all of the various things that happened Stephen is a wonderful example no, the Sanhedrin had no issue, in fact it was very very common that these hawkish like mobs would ascend to establish what they felt was mob justice see much like Bruce Willis of today, everybody's got somebody's got to have a death wish somebody's got to set some things straight Somebody's got to come in here and be the guy that the law's not getting it done, so we're going to get it done. That was the Sanhedrin. They were regularly doing things like this. So why didn't
1: they just take care of Jesus on their own? These leaders had found Jesus guilty of heresy,
0: but that wasn't enough. They knew they couldn't follow through on their murderous plot because of Jesus' popularity with many of the people, specifically the non-religious peoples. To say that again the people jesus was popular that would throw a fit if the religious people killed the messiah were the non-religious people the woman caught in the act of adultery would have been upset if the religious leaders like the pastors and elders and deacons to use our current day language
1: stoned So after convincing,
0: excuse me, after convicting him, excuse me, in their religious court, they gave him to the Roman leader, Pilate, to be tried for treason. So this was the system of Jewish religious culture that was the best in the world. Literally, Jewish religious culture was the best. The most powerful, the the clearest, had the clearest picture of God. They were the elite of the elite of the religious cultures of that day. And the Roman political culture, which was without a doubt the most powerful in the world, the most powerful. They had the biggest army. In fact, do you realize that the day that Jesus rode in on the donkey, on the, on the foal of a donkey, actually, when they cried out Hosanna, Jesus rode in through the East Gate, what had just happened through the West Gate, was that Pontius Pilate rode in, and Pontius Pilate rode in with 6,000 horsemen in his army during that feast that Jesus was crucified in for the purpose of the showing of strength so that there wouldn't be a riot. In fact, the reason I'm preaching this message today is because whenever you look at the feast of the Passover or whenever you look at the feast that Jesus was actually Um, brought to in Jerusalem, where he was then captured and killed, it was very similar, if not identical, to our Independence Day. You see, what they were celebrating at that point was liberation from Egypt. That's the feast that they were celebrating. So they were celebrating uh, uh, and feasting the idea of liberation from Egyptian slavery and bondage. And this was the most common time to have uprisings, revolts, or rebellions. Why? Well, nothing says revolt like some good old patriotism. Let me ask you, wouldn't it make sense if all of a sudden ISIS invaded our country and took over and became some type of uh, tyrannous force in our country that we had to stay under the hand of, that the 4th of July, boy, I tell you what, That'd be a good day to show them who's boss, wouldn't it? Why? Because we're recognizing our independence. There's there's a sense of patriotism that's stirred. I mean, nothing says I'm a red-blooded American and you can't tell me what to do like a Bud Light can with an American flag on it and some bottle rockets. So all of that put into, and barbecue, but that goes without saying. That just goes without saying. You know, and so all of that is the context of this. So because there was such a likelihood and there had been many, 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 if not maybe even a hundred different instances of attempted revolts by the people, by the Jewish people on the days of this feast in years past. So Rome understood that and they sent a showing of force in to demonstrate by violence, we will keep you in your place of bondage subdued to what our rule is. Jesus, on the other hand, rather than riding in on a war horse, rode in on the colt of a donkey.
1: Why? Because Jesus came to show us that violence is never how his kingdom comes. Period. His kingdom
0: doesn't come by empiristic His kingdom comes by
1: peaceful forgiveness that is willing to die for what's right. Not kill for it. It doesn't take a brave person to kill for what's right. It takes a brave person to die for what's right. I don't care what General George Patton says about it. So Jesus did that.
0: So within this system, the greatest religious culture of that day, the greatest, um, empiristic or government political culture of that day, they came together. They both condemned Jesus and they actually in some way were so perverse, so disgustingly iniquitous that they were capable of killing the Messiah And feeling righteous about it, feeling like they had defended their ideals, feeling like they had defended God. Killing a peaceful Messiah and feeling like they had done God a
1: favor. So that is what Peter invites us to be saved out of.
0: of these people these thousands of people and simply say there must be some way out of here and that, and literally when he says to those people if you read the, the text he says be saved from this crooked and perverse generation and the people begin to shout out back at him how can we be saved how can we have this why because they're shouting out there must be some way out of here i don't know who the joker was and who the thief was But they're yelling, there must be some way out of here. We can't live like this anymore. Because Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you will die by it. He literally, on a regular basis, looked at the people of Jerusalem and said, if you don't change your violent, retributive uh, payback methods, you will die. You will be, actually what he says, you will inherit hell and we think he's talking about everlasting fire. And what he's telling them is, he points at the burning trash heap out outside the, the city and says, That's what your whole city's going to look like. And 40 years after Jesus' death, Rome absolutely wiped out Jerusalem and burned it to the ground to where you couldn't tell from where the
1: burning trash heap was to where the temple was. Why? Because if you live by the sword. There must be some way out of here. We have to recognize that we are part
0: of a society that is capable of doing the worst evils and calling it just and good. Peter invites them to repent and simply change the way they've been thinking. He doesn't invite them to repeat after me. Notice he never says, I ask you, I so and so ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. I recognize that I'm a dirty, rotten, evil sinner that's this real son of a gun. And mama tried to raise me better.
1: Um leaves no one
0: to blame but me, because mama tried, mama tried, mama tried to raise me better. Right? That's what we go into. And what I and, and the problem is, guys, I'm gonna be very honest with you. Deconstruction's easy, reconstruction's hard. So when I tell you that I don't believe that everybody has to be saved by a repeat after me prayer, that's easy. But when your question to me then is how do we lead them to the Lord, that's hard. I don't know. I don't know how we do that. I really don't know the best answer I can give you is Peter simply looks at the crowds of people and says this culture is killing you because the thing that I find to be so fascinating actually the early church father who wrote that apostolic creed that you just read what he said is Jesus came to bring heaven here and save you from hell here so in this life. You can have
1: all of the heaven you want or all of the hell you want, depending on which kingdom you belong to. Because if you don't live in mercy. You're not going to
0: get mercy. If you don't live in forgiveness, you're not going to get forgiveness. If you don't live in grace, you're not going to get grace. So I don't care what prayer you've prayed. This life can feel like hell if you don't get out of the crooked and perverse culture that tells us that unforgiveness is normal, that anger and, and, and payback and revenge and all of that stuff is normal. That's what Jesus came to save us from. And in some crazy way, Peter looked at thousands of people and said, get saved from this.
1: And they said, how do we do that? And he said, change the way you think.
0: the way you think that's what repent means change the way you think don't think that way so that's what he says. This isn't the end of the message, however. Peter says, Change the way you think and come to know Jesus as their Lord. They pledge their allegiance to a new king, and in this they are joining this new society called the Kingdom of God. Do you realize the term the Kingdom of God had never existed before? So it would be like me walking into here and inviting you to jump some seek join some secret society where we have, you know, pinky promises and secret handshakes and and, and knocks at the door to be able to get inside. You know, the number one. Rule about, never mind. Number one rule about Fight Club is nobody talks about Fight Club, but th- it's that kind of thing. When we think about what this culture is, it becomes that this secret kingdom. We think that that's. Can you imagine that's what they had to be thinking when Peter's talking? What are you talking about? What, he, they have to be looking at him. And go. What do you mean? There's a different society. We're Romans, we're Jews, we're Greeks, we're this, we're this. And he says, no, what I'm telling you is you're citizens of another kingdom if you choose to be. This is the message of the early church, not a ticket to heaven, not an afterlife inclusion, but an invitation into a new society that begins here and now society that's countercultural in nature, a new society that doesn't need to subscribe to the need for wars to gain power, one that doesn't seek to compete with earthly kingdoms because it has come to establish an earthly or excuse me, a heavenly model on earth as it is in heaven. This kingdom prefers forgiveness over revenge, peace over violence, peace over the rage and vitriol of the political spirit, and the new life of beloved identity over the shame and control of the religious spirit. That is this kingdom that we're invited to. This is why the early church Christians were persecuted. Have you ever wondered that? I'm not going to get through all my notes, so I might as well rabbit trail for just a moment. Have you ever wondered
1: why the early church Christians were persecuted. Why'd they kill him? And in
0: fact, do you realize that the Romans had entire departments within their government that their job was to research ideas of how to hurt people in the longest and pain, most painful way possible without killing them? They had much like the Nazis did, that what they did was research how can we torture somebody as painfully and as long as possible without them dying.
1: The Roman civilization did that, and they, they did that so that they could torture the Christians. Why?
0: Have you ever thought about that? You do realize that the Romans didn't have an issue with God, right? The Romans had lots of gods. They were really cool with God. They had no issue with God. In fact, uh, Tosh and I are planning on going to uh, to Greece later this year. And um, we're excited because we're going to, and as we've been to Europe several times, I've had the opportunity to visit the temples of lots of these gods. You see these structures that may not even be active anymore, but rep- they're vestiges of the past of, of all these different gods that worship. So the Romans
1: were not ticked off at, at the Christians because they had added another god that needed to be worshipped. persecuted because they had a religious message. They were not persecuted because they shared how to get to heaven. They were
0: persecuted for saying Jesus is Lord in a society that said Caesar is Lord. We must realize that during this time, even the monetary courage, currency excuse me, used included a picture of Caesar that used titles referring to him as a deity, such as, here is the son of God. Caesar, the Prince of Peace; Caesar, the Savior of the World, and most importantly, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what accompanied the picture of Caesar on the Roman money. So, the early church, including the pastor—excuse uh, me, the great apostle Paul—I'm going to use a current word: trolled. If any of you know what that means? Trolled the Empire of Rome of his phrase Jesus is Lord Paul who was a a Jewish Roman he was a Roman citizen and very 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 familiar with their culture he's the first one that started utilizing the phrase Jesus is Lord so think about the most overtly patriotic phrase we have and I'm not going to pick one because I'll tick you off if I pick your favorite or don't pick your favorite But whatever, whatever it is that you feel like, you know, uh, so think about this. Think about what it would be like if at our church I started telling everybody that when we come in at the beginning of service, you need to stand, put your hand on your heart and say, I pledge allegiance to my father, God in heaven and to the kingdom for which he stands. Right. Some people would really be upset about this. They would say, "Well, don't you realize that that's you're 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 somebody who is coming against our government? That's don't you that's not patriotic." Some people would be upset about that. I mean, have you ever noticed that every Christian, and more, more than likely every single church in our country, would undoubtedly say that the order of importance, the priority, is God, country. flagpole that has the Christian flag above the American flag
1: and if you don't think that's a big deal then just switch them see how long you make it why because we offer our faith on the altar of our patriotism constantly just the truth they're so intertwined we we don't recognize it
0: And so what happened is Paul, recognizing this, said, you know what? Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is. That's why the Christians were being killed. They were not being killed because they had figured out how to get to heaven when they die. They were being killed because they were introducing a different culture and kingdom that they said Caesar is not the ultimate authority that we submit to. Jesus is. And so within this time period, this caused the people to accuse them of being atheists because they wouldn't worship the gods of the Romans. In fact, they were called unpatriotic because they wouldn't sanction the religious nationalism that allowed the current church to be in bed with the power of politics. If you, uh, I ask you this question as we begin to close. Is our day really different? On the day that the church was formed, the day of Pentecost, Peter preached this message to a people who belonged to a religion who had been corrupted by the compromised allegiance to a materialistic and
1: militaristic empire. Peter's invitation was simple. Be saved from this culture.
0: The Roman Empire had co-opted the religious leaders of that day, such as Caiaphas, into collusion, entrenching them in their power-hungry game of the Roman center of Mammon and Mars. Wealth and war. These were the center of the Roman way of life. Caesar personified this way of wealth and war. Hunger, hungry greed to conquer and have more. So when the high priest said to Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. Do you remember that while Jesus is on trial, he's standing in front of Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas, the high priest of the Sanhedrin is standing there and he looks at, uh, Pilate looks at Caiaphas and says, is this your king? And, and Caiaphas, the religious leader of that day,
1: looks at him and says, we have no king but Caesar. That was the moment that it was meld together, completely co-opted, where they had,
0: that is supposed to be countercultural at the core of it on behalf of getting in bed with power and wealth. And we live in the most materialistic
1: church culture on the face of the planet ever. We're fascinated by possessions, we fill our time them, we fill our houses
0: with them, we fill our cars with them, we fill our pockets with them. The old phone has to give the way to the new phone. The old car has to give way to the new car. I can't have one pair of brown dress boots because what if those
1: brown dress boots are dirty? I need to have six pairs of brown dress boots. I can't have just one of this or one of that.
0: In fact, Most of us probably have enough dishes in our house to feed Greencastle at a single setting. Why? Because that's the culture. So what Jesus came to liberate us from and what Peter invites us out of is that culture of militaristic and materialistic greed. Simply gives the invitation, we get to belong to a society that's different. And this has nothing to do with our political opinions. This has nothing to do with who we vote for. This has nothing to do with um, any type of, it really just doesn't have to do with that. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. This is counter political. I believe part of the issue is we have intertwined it too much with the political. We've tried to see the counterculture of the kingdom established through political means. So our number one question when voting for a politician is, are they a Christian? When in reality, do we really think
1: we know? Does anybody know how many Catholic presidents we've ever had? Going to have a president that looks like Jesus?
0: No. Now, I don't get me wrong. I'm going to be super excited if if Doug decides to run for president tomorrow. You know, if that's his post-retirement gig, I'm voting for him. Like, I yeah, that's right. I'm game. Uh, you know, uh, Doug is he's going to have four votes. He'll have me, and then as Doug always says, he'll have me, myself, and I. So he'll have four votes total anyway. But the reality of it is, why do we look at things like that? So this person can be the worst person ever, but as long as they said they're a Christian, it's like, nope, I don't want none of those Catholics or Mormons in there. You know what, guys? I would take a Muslim that acted like Jesus over a Christian that acts like
1: a president any day or a politician any day.
0: not the point. That's not where we're looking for our kingdom to come through. So what Peter says is be saved out of this culture. And so the question is, is today any different? The message translation I mentioned earlier, Acts 2 40 says, Peter cried out again and again. He repeated this over and over as an appeal. Be saved out of this sick and stupid society. And even though that is the first sermon ever preached And it is absolutely divisive and subversive and edgy and countercultural at heart. That is an edgy sermon. Imagine what would happen today if Joel Osteen stands up and says, be saved out of this sick and disgusting culture. It would freak people out. So what we have to understand is the culture that worships money, the culture that worships success and greed and how big our 401ks can get and how big our savings account can get and how big our houses are. Do we realize that immigration and refugees wouldn't be a problem because most of us have big enough houses that we can put about a dozen of them in our house? The government wouldn't need to find places to put these kids who don't have anywhere to live because most of our homes can fit them. Let alone they could sleep in our six cars that are in our garage, or our four-car garage, or our three mini barns. The reality of it is, we whether we know it or not, it has slowly crept its way into how we think. And we have to recognize that the appeal, the uh, first sermon ever was an appeal for a salvation out of that and into a society that thought different. So we live in this world, but we are not of it. We invite people to join us on this path, this movement to another society. In fact, the word save through the scriptures is almost always culturally synonymous with the word to be liberated. So when he, the cry is to get saved, what we're actually saying is get liberated. Where are they being liberated out of? The bondage that we're in, all of it. The worry, the fear, the greed, the egocentric, narcissistic junk that just gets on us. And we don't even know it's there. And then as soon as you buy into that program, fear moves in with it. Why? Because you can't be egocentric and narcissistic and not be afraid that somebody's going to take from you. It's impossible. As soon as you become focused on me having more, fear moves in with it. Why?
1: Because the desire for power is always afraid of losing it. The phrase gets saved in the
0: Bible. Time and time again has little or nothing to do with going to heaven. It has everything to do with freeing you from the bondage of sin and death. In this, Jesus came to the world to liberate them from death. This is the invitation into life, an invitation to be free from the demands and the cages of expectations and requirements that come with the world system. Jesus invites us to go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. Those who believe will be liberated. In the same way Israel's salvation from Egypt meant to be liberated from the bondage of Egyptian slavery, we are welcome to be liberated from the bondage of this corruption. I think Paul said it best as we close. Romans chapter 8, verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered or liberated from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body for we are saved or liberated
1: with this hope this is the hope we're saved with and this is the hope that all creation has so as you think about this he says to them again repent
0: and be baptized in the name of Jesus And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for to you is the promise to your children. Now, notice this, because that's where we stop. To use the promise in your children. But what he says is this salvation is for you and your children and to all of them that are afar off, even as many as God chooses to call. What's the point? I don't get to choose who's in who's in the culture, who's in the society,
1: who's in the kingdom and who's out. I just have to choose to accept the invitation to be in. God gives the invitation. And I genuinely believe that the reason, the
0: more and more we live a lifestyle that's different, we live a lifestyle that is separate, we live a lifestyle that is not freaking out about what CNN says and what Fox News says and what MSNBC says and what NPR says and what Facebook says and all the other Junk, But as we live a life liberated from that, that other people will embrace that invitation, because there is a society that can do better than crucifying the Messiah on behalf of God's purpose. And I choose and we choose to not belong to a sick and stupid society that rejects forgiveness. And chooses revenge. I reject a society. That rejects peace. And chooses violence. I reject a society. That chooses judgment. Over grace. And I say. That at the end. God is everything. And in all things.
1: And the greatest At that point, it doesn't matter. Parties don't matter. I just don't care anymore. I just don't. I really don't. That
0: stuff's just so ridiculous. We've so co-opted religious trappings into political junk. And it does nothing but kill because it's called the law. And according to Paul, the law brings death, but the spirit brings death of these is love so if you ask me next election how I'm going to vote my only answer is going to be
1: the greatest of these is love that's how I'm going to vote whatever that looks like if that comes in
0: in the outfit of somebody wearing a Buddhist monk's outfit the greatest of
1: these is love if that comes in the form of a Mormon the greatest of these is love
0: Caesar from the western gate with his 6,000 horsemen showing how big my violent empire is. I'm riding in with Jesus on the colt of a donkey saying, let your kingdom come and let my kingdom go. The greatest of these is love. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for everything that you are. We thank you that you are everything. We thank you that our eyes are open enough see you in all and we thank you that we don't just get to be saved from hell but we have been liberated by your love radically and recklessly that you have come to us and invited us to shake off the trappings of the culture that would bind us and that would Put us in these restrictive forms to say, for this to happen, this has to happen. Father, we believe what your word says, that the spirit comes to bring life. And we thank you that we stand alongside of that kingdom. We thank you that as difficult as it is, we can be those that say we belong to a society that is separate and that is not going to bow its knee to anything else, any political pressure, any system, systematic pressure, any cultural pressure. But, Father, I want you and I don't care what the Joneses have. I don't care what the Joneses wear. I don't care what the Joneses look like. I don't even know who the Joneses are. Who are those people anyway? Father, we just want you. So we thank you and we absolutely throw off any condemnation or shame that would be associated with from our abandoning of this other thing that's tried to hold us. And we say, Father, we choose peace. Father, we choose love. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this incredible gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. Everybody have an amazing 4th of July. Uh, Tosh and I were discussing yesterday that as it falls in the middle of the week, I think there's actually two Fourth of July weekends, you get one on either side to choose, or double. You might be so you could be double fist in Fourth of July, uh, one in, one on each end. I don't know how that works, but there's plenty to go around. So enjoy it, enjoy your time with your family or whatever you choose to do. We love you, and we'll see everybody Thursday. Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at HarvestHouse